0: Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of EC30. The conversation continues about racism and the gospel. I'm your host, David Graves, and we are privileged today to have our special guest, Van Moody. Van, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, David. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this needed conversation.
0: Man, we are so excited to hear and be challenged through God's word and through your experiences about how we can better walk this road together. For those of you, this may be your first time watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate it, leave a comment, Uh, Go back and look at past episodes. I will tell you this about Van. Two of our first speakers that we interviewed for the podcast after we were done recording, I said to them, hey, who is somebody else we should talk to in regards to racism and the gospel? And the first name out of both of their mouths was Van Moody. And so I'll tell you a little bit more about him. He is the founding pastor at the Worship Center Christian Church. He has a passion for transforming people, organizations and the world, His background is in leadership, business, ministry. He's had a TED Talk. He's been on the Tom Joyner Morning Show, uh, various things. In 2016, he became a member of Dr. Oz's core team. He's been featured on several of the episodes on ABC. He writes frequently for the Christian Post, Fox News, other websites. He has five books that are out, three of which are bestsellers. The People Factor, The I Factor, and his latest book, Desired by God. He's uniquely uh, His unique ability to understand and communicate timeless truths in contemporary ways, he challenges his congregation to fulfill their potential and live out their purpose. He serves on various boards, active member of Omega Sci-Fi. He's an avid CrossFit athlete. He likes to run, cycle, and snowboard. He lives in Birmingham with his wife, Dr. Ty, and their two children, Eden Sydney, and Ethan Isaiah, and their golden doodle, Teddy Bear. So... Again, for, for those of you who, like I said, may be new to the podcast or the series, EC30 Ethnic Conciliation, a group of diverse local believers, four months ago began to meet weekly to talk about racism in the gospel, where uh, white congregants listened to our black brothers and sisters talk about historical, present day racism, injustice, inequality, and hearts were broken because we were learning about a life and a lens that we had not seen through, and, and God began to move confession of sin. A a desire to walk this road better together, to advocate for the marginalized, to come alongside those who uh, a system has disenfranchised and other things. That's what led to those conversations. Those meetings went from weekly to once a month. And as a result, we've asked local speakers now to come in and better equip us uh, for these conversations. And that's what EC30 is about. So with that being said, Van, I'm going to pause for a second, pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Okay. Sure. God, thank you for this day. We recognize this is your grace. Lord, would you take the power of your word, your truth, use van in our time together? Through your spirit, shed light in dark places in our heart, whether it's been biases, our own willful ignorance, or our belief that it's not our problem. And would the power of the Holy Spirit convict us to confess sin and allow us to walk this road better? better together in regards to racism in the gospel. We pray this for the sake of your magnificent, glorious name and for your gospel. Amen. Amen. So question number one today, how do we seek out our own blind spots in regard to prejudice, bias, or racism? And what questions should we be asking as believers?
1: Well, I think we have to start with what is god's purpose and intent for all of us in romans 8 and 29 it says for those that god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son jesus christ that they uh that jesus go it goes on to say the apostle paul goes on to say that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and so what that essentially tells us is that the end goal of god is for us to look more like jesus And what that should tell us is that God, his purpose is always to conform us and to shape us and mold us, which also means to expose the parts of us that are not quite like him. And I think we've got to be honest, you know, first of all, with God, you know, I think everybody has kind of an informed sense of self. You know, we think that we're often better than we are. Mm -hmm. But I think that if we would be honest with the Lord, those blind spots would be easy to point out. I also recognize, too, that sometimes the areas where um, we're the most sensitive about, the areas that we often avoid, those are the very areas that God wants to come and dwell in and transform. So sometimes it's just a matter of being honest with God, but sometimes it's a matter of just acknowledging the stuff that we don't want to deal with. And I think that's where we are with a lot of people uh, on the subject of race. I know that a lot of my Caucasian friends They just hate the subject. They don't want to talk about it. They run from it. You know, they get very nervous and squeamish when the subject is brought up. And I think that that in and of itself and the way that they respond is pointing to a blind spot. Like this is an area that we're trying to hide and uh, keep separate from the rest of our life. But God wants to be Lord of that, too. And I think we've got to acknowledge that.
0: The fact that you mentioned that we're sensitive to it. But if we could just say to the Lord, Lord, I, I'm scared if I confess this, what it leads to. It's the For me, I, uh, I'm an Enneagram three, right? I'm, I'm always worried about control. And so I go, Lord, if I confess this, I don't know the outcome. And he's like, my glory is the outcome,
1: right? Absolutely.
0: That's, that's where I can press in and go, you know what? Yes, as you mentioned, intent. Lord, I, I can't script it. So here it is. I'm afraid. And I said this four months ago with our group. I'm afraid to confess that I was willfully ignorant, willfully ignorant, because I didn't want to dive into the deeper issues of going, yeah, I never owned slaves. However, I also didn't bite the apple. But I deal with that consequence every, every day. Okay.
1: Well, and I think if I could add one more thing to it, I think what's so significant about what you've said is we gotta remember that god doesn't only want us to acknowledge him as savior through jesus christ he also wants us to acknowledge him as lord and the the difference between savior and lordship is that we give god the right to control all things about our lives you know and it's very similar to some people who have an issue with tithing or being generous right they they try to avoid that subject and it just reveals that this is an area of their life that god is not lord over right he doesn't have full control. Well. While it might be money and generosity for others, for some it is this issue of race, and it is our duty if we are going to, you know, continue to be the believers that we're called to be and to fully yield to the lordship of Jesus, that we allow Him to be Lord over this area as well as every other area in our lives.
0: That's so good, man. Yield. Um, question two: Do you feel the white evangelical church? has had an unholy silence and has not spoken up spoken up enough as they did in the 60s. Are they committing the same sin over again?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. If I could find a word that was even more emphatic than yes, then I would use it. Absolutely. You know, the real reason, and this is part of what many people aren't talking about, the real reason we have a problem uh, of race in America is because of the silence of the church our fundamental issue in our country of race is the church's fault. Now, that may be hard for some people to swallow, but it is because the church's silence is complicitness. You know, the church has really, because of a lust for power and the lust for dominance, really sometimes even helped this race problem uh, instead of Uh, really shutting it down and acknowledging that all of us are created in the image and likeness of God. So let me go back and give you a little bit of history. When you go back and look at number one, the the fact that race as a biological, uh, genetic, anthropological, and just as a scientific construct, race is not real, okay? Race is not real. Genetically, even in the year 2000, when uh, they cracked the code on the human genome, uh, the leading scientist was a guy by the name of Dr. Craig Venter. And when the White House made the announcement that they had cracked the, the genetic code, he even said that what they realized genetically and scientifically that race was not real, it was a myth. When they were studying the the, the DNA of, of samples, you know, and they were cracking the, the code, they said they couldn't tell from DNA uh, whether somebody was Hispanic or white or black or Asian because 99.9% of our DNA is the exact same. That 0.1% difference that equates to nose size, skin complexion and everything else goes all the way back to when God gave Adam first and then Noah and his children second after they came out of the ark, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth. When people began to move to different regions of the planet, if they were in a colder climate, they got less of the sun, less of the sun's UV rays, so their skin complexion was lighter they were in a warmer climate or region, you know, they got more of the sun's rays, more of the UV rays, so their skin was darker. That's a 0.1% difference. And so then when you really understand when race was created, I know I'm giving a little bit of a history lesson, but when you go back to the period of enlightenment, when you go back to when race was created by Europeans in a university, It was done for the desire to say that one group was superior and another was was inferior, but it was all made up. It was all a myth. But here's where it really got interesting, and this is the role that the church played. When the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Dutch, and the British decided to invade West Africa for the slave trade, they had to go to the church for permission, and the church granted it. So number one, the church was complicit and the biggest institution that actually promoted racial difference which was the transatlantic slave trade because we understand that that same understanding of who was inferior and who was superior the founders of our great country brought that that colonial mentality they brought it to the united states and then they instituted laws to support that so i often tell people people say well well everybody's got racial prejudice we all have racial biases Racial bias and prejudice is not racism, but where it gets into racism, though, is when you match your racial prejudice and bias with power, with laws that help to enforce that one race is better than the other. But the point is, from the very beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, the church sanctioned it. And then down through history, the church has been silent. So there are people who say, well, but we didn't, we didn't, participate. You know, my my parents, you know, I've had some white friends say, well, my parents didn't own slaves, but yet the church and others are still benefiting from the power structure and the laws, and the church has said nothing about it. Yet, the Bible is very clear that all of us have been created in the image and likeness of God. You know, when you study the ministry of Jesus Christ, he assigned dignity to those that were downtrodden and less than. As a matter of fact, there were Five categories of people that, that Jesus really, really spent the most time with, and all through scripture, God cared the most about. We're talking about the widow, the orphan, the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. And so the church as an agent of as an agent of Jesus Christ, as as the body of Christ, the, the literal body. Christ is the head, the church is bride is the body. We we are supposed to be representing that in the earth. And so when the church is silent on issues of injustice, on, on issues of racism. Yes, the, the church is, is guilty, and we've been silent for too long, and it has broken my heart. Um, it has is, it is broken my heart in ways that are really hard to describe because I love the Lord. And I really believe that Jesus is the hope for the world today, but if the church is not going to stand for that full picture of Jesus Christ, then it's honestly not much of a picture at all. And so, absolutely, the church has been responsible from the very beginning, and the church's silence makes things even worse today.
0: We we will sit under a pastor and listen to them go into great detail about the failure of men and women in Scripture and their yeah. own depravity. And when it comes to the history of the church, it seems that the modern-day congregant believer will say, well, can't we just move on? Uh we can by God's grace, but we have to tell the story correctly, right? We have to, like you said, hey, racism stems from the silence of the church. The church had to give permission for the sanctioning of the transatlantic slave trade. Those nations went to them and said, hey, this is what we want to do. And the church was like, okay, so let, let's tell the truth about historical and present day. And that's, that's the only place we can stand in the gospels if we tell the truth correctly and ask the Lord to lead us. Absolutely. If,
1: if we're not going to expose it, you know, it's very much like how we, how we saved, right? Romans 10 and 9 is very clear. You have to confess with your mouth. We have to confess and then we have to believe. Well, that's important because there cannot be healing if there's not first confession. And the same is true for the modern day church. We, we can't expect for God to heal the very things that we won't even confront. Like, we have to acknowledge the church blew it, right? We messed up in that area. Lord, forgive us, because we know that this forgiveness is available, but we won't be able to move forward the right way if we don't at least acknowledge it and confess it. And I really believe that this is a part of the reason that we're here. I think God is trying to get us to do this, because I do think that God wants to bring revival, but I actually think that the revival is not going to look quite like a lot of people expect it. I, I, you know, we know that judgment first begins. You know, at the house of God, the Bible is very clear. We know that also the burden um, for the healing of the land belonged to the church. This is what 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 teaches us, right? And so I think that that's where we are. I think, And it's interesting when you reflect on 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, it says, if my people who call by my name would humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal the land. Well, we, we want to get together and pray, and we want to cite that verse, but where is the turning from our wicked ways? And one of the ways that we need to turn from our wicked ways is on this issue of racism. If the church is not willing to turn from its wicked ways and acknowledge that, man, that was wrong, that was wickedness, we, and, and that turning is about repentance. That's what repentance means. The word metanoia means to turn away from and to turn to, turn away from that, which is not like God to turn to that which is God. So unless the church repent, that whole formula that is laid out in 2 Chronicles seven 14 doesn't work. And so it's interesting how we pray and we stand on that verse and we wonder why God's not moving quite like we wanted to, because there's a missing piece. We haven't turned from our wicked ways.
0: Which leads us into the next question, and it's one that is what if the revival that the white evangelicals have been praying for was meant to come through the restoration and revitalization of the black community and home would white evangelicals still pray and act toward it
1: (laughs) well I, i can't answer that second part i don't know what white evangelicals would do um if if i had to answer it now i you know it would be a very pessimistic answer because the only thing i would have to go on is the history of what the white evangelical church has been doing and it's not positive but i will tell you that i do think that any kind of revival will be connected to the ethic of christ and we do know that jesus ascribed dignity particularly to those five categories that we talked about the people that were less than the downtrod the the critique that the jews had of jesus is that he, this man eats with sinners and prostitutes. And, and and he even says, I didn't come for those that, well, I came for the sick. And so if the church is not going to value that, which God values, it's going to be hard for God to usher in a revival, particularly through the church. God loves the world. And either that scripture applies to all people or it applies to nobody. And so, yes, I do think that there's a movement of God. When people ask me often, well, man, where is God in all of this? Because we have, you know, David, we have a a warped sense of what we consider moves of God. We think that God only moves in the good times, and the Bible uh, actually contradicts that. Some of the greatest moves of God actually happen in what we would label to be difficult times. As a matter of fact, people often refer to um, the covenant that God made with Abraham, and we run from Genesis 15 all the way to you know, the New Testament that talks about how we are heirs and we, you know, are the seed of Abraham. And, and that means that there are certain benefits that belong to us as believers. But what we miss is that when God co- covenant with Abraham, the Bible says that a thick and dreadful darkness came over the land. God was in that darkness. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000 or when, you know, uh, he stilled the waters there were some really difficult circumstances around that. The feeding of the 5,000, the disciples were like, no, send everybody away, we don't have enough. But it was out of their lack. It was out of that difficulty that God formed a miracle. Same thing with Lazarus and being raised from the grave. I I could go on and on and on, but the pattern that I hope that the listeners will pick up is that it is not just that God is moving when everything is perfect. Actually, the Bible gives us a different picture. That God actually moves more. In the times that we perceive to be bad, but, but they're not bad to God. They're purposeful to God. He's doing something through it. You know, one of the favorite scriptures that people quote is Jeremiah 29 and 11. Uh, God has got plans for us, plans to prosper us and, and not harm us. But yet that word came to the exiles, you know, when they were displaced, when Jerusalem had been burned and torn apart and they were displaced in uh, Babylonian captivity. In another Psalm, they even said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? We we hung our, our harps on the willows and, and we wept when we remembered Zion. And so they would have probably told you that their situation was jacked up, but yet God sends his word and says, I know what I'm doing. And so I, I do believe that God is moving in a great way. I do believe that God wants to usher in revival. I think the challenge is though, it is not going to look like um, what the white evangelical church has been praying for. Uh, it is going to look like something that is much more comprehensive and is inclusive of the kingdom of God, which we know is for all people and all races. It's going to be something that is more in line with the picture of the church that we see in the book of Revelation. And you cannot get to that picture if you're only thinking about white superiority and white people.
0: I love the way you phrased it. You said that revival comes through judgment and repentance and then the feeding of the 5,000, the way that he fed them was he had to break it first. Yes. Bless it. And so much of what we're dealing with here, when we recall from the breaking, yeah, and when it says, what kind of father will not discipline his son that he loves? Why would we rebuke that discipline? Is it this for those listening? This is the breaking. And when we resist this, we're resisting God's move, uh, not only in our own life, but obviously it's in our life, just like sin in our life goes out and it ripple effects into the world the same way. If we resist the breaking by the Holy spirit, then we are, we are helping to hold back revival. We must surrender to that and just ask God to move in our lives. Yeah. Um, All right. So we have two more, uh, has the church been largely ineffective in addressing complex racial issues because it remains racially segregated?
1: Absolutely. You cannot lead out and teach others that which you are not living yourself. So when Paul tells Timothy in his instruction, he tells him a lot, but one of the things that he tells him is to watch your life and your doctrine closely. He says, because if you persevere in them, you will save not only your hearers, but you'll save yourself. So there's a a, a twofold role, right, that our doctrine is, is external in what we teach and preach to others, but there also is an internal dynamic to it that gives us credibility. And so the church in many ways has lost credibility on this issue of race because the church in America in particular is just as divided racially as it was when Dr. Martin Luther King said that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. It still holds true largely because we, we won't face the issue and then also because white pastors won't deal with the power dynamic that they benefit from. So there's even this whole dialogue about what is the multi-ethnic church, you know, and a lot of people think that the multi-ethnic church is as pictured when there's pretty much a white power structure and a few sprinkle of black people go to that, that, that church. That's not the multi-ethnic church, not as pictured in the New Testament. And that's a fascinating study uh, that we probably don't have time to get into. But I would challenge your, your listeners or challenge the pastors to study the Acts New Testament church and understand particularly people like the Apostle Paul and other Jews who were living under Roman colonialism. So Jews were oppressed. They were an oppressed people. Jews, particularly in the New Testament church, would be likened to African Americans in today's context. And so look at what happened then when the Centurion, or you know, when, when Peter has to go to Cornelius's house, you're talking about a minority going to their oppressor and sharing the gospel, and their oppressor submitting to the leadership and the rule of those that they had oppressed. It, it's a totally different picture than what we uh, think think in America is, is the multi-ethnic church. And so absolutely, the church, we've lost credibility because we won't address it. We won't live it out. We want to tell people that God loves all people, but then even the way we do ministry doesn't reflect that. You know, we we've had a tendency to do ministry along our racial prejudices and biases instead of the kingdom agenda. And that's the only way if we change that, that's the only way that we're going to be able to speak to this issue with credibility and power.
0: Mm. Mm. That's, I, need, I need to do a little more study in that as well. That is very challenging. Um, all right. So here, here's our last question. And this goes along the lines of everything we've discussed today, the, the people who maybe aren't ready to have this conversation. How do we dialogue or engage a Christian Who's not ready to have conversations about racism in their life or in the life of the church? Is this any different from not being ready to have conversations about abuse, caring well, pornography, other sins?
1: No, it's actually not different. Racism is a sin. And it has to be addressed just like every other sin that we tackle when we're trying to disciple people. You can't run from it. You can't assign, you know, a certain status to it and stay "Well, that's off limits because then we begin to pick the sins that we're comfortable with and the sins that we're not comfortable with. And that's not integrity either. So, yeah, you have to address it, particularly from, as you know, I go back to what we started with, Romans 8 and 29, God wants us to look like Christ. And that means in everything, in the way we raise our children, in the way we deal with our fellow brother and sister. You know, And I would argue that this issue of race is so paramount because you, you cannot fully live out. Jesus only had one command. He says, the new command I give you, and this is in John, to love others as I have loved you. By this, he says, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, you can't effectively love your brother and your sister as Christ has loved us, which is unconditionally, if you still have racial bias in your heart. So I just think that it is, it is a sin among other sins, but we can't relegate it as something that people aren't comfortable talking with, talking about, we've got to deal with it head on. And that's how we got here because we just didn't want to talk about it. We avoided it. And, uh, you see the kind of trouble we're in now. And if we continue this pattern, things are not going to get any better. They're going to get worse.
0: Mm. That's so good fan. Thank you. Now I see, uh, I see why they recommended conversation with you and and your wisdom and and practicality and your insight, both historically and present day, is going to help believers walk this road better together. Remind people, you've got some resources that are available on this subject that are coming out. They're either going to be out by the time this podcast Mm -hmm. comes out or in the near future afterwards. Remind people where they can find those resources.
1: Yes, they can find everything on vanmoody.org. They can also go out to our church website, twccc.org, and uh, we've got a host of resources that will be available and even more that will be coming on this subject.
0: Amen. Would, Would you close us in prayer?
1: I would love to. Father, thank you, first of all, for this necessary and needed conversation. Lord, my prayer is simply that you would do what you want to do in our hearts. We are but the pot and you are the potter. So, Lord, mold us and shape us. We want you to be Lord over every area of our lives. Father, we want to look like Jesus. We want to be your representatives and your ambassadors to this hurting and dying world. But first, Lord, our hearts have to be right. Every area of our life has to be yielded and submitted to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would demolish. Every stronghold, Lord, every secret sin, every pet thing that maybe we have benefited from or held on to that is not like you, tear it all down. God, we give you permission to mold us and shape us into who you ultimately have called us to be so that we can adequately represent your glory. Father, we desperately need you. Our land desperately needs to be healed. But Father, only you can do it through us if we yield it. So, Lord, I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for David and for those who, God, have been led of you to have these uncomfortable conversations. Often the way, Lord, that we get better is that we expose the sin and the sickness so you can heal it. So, Lord, would you heal us all so that we are who you called us to be? In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen. Thank you, man mm